For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. From Mediators World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. A Wyoming woman has been hospitalized after a whitetail buck gored her outside of her home. The buck was lying in the sun on her driveway when she opened up her front door and let her dog out. The buck tried to gore the dog, whose name I believe is Baby, but Baby did the smart thing and ran underneath a parked car. However, when Wanda Kaner saw her dog being attacked, she ran at the 10-point buck and tried to hit it with her bag. You can imagine what happened next, but thanks to the internet, you don't have to. The entire incident was, of course, captured on a doorbell camera and published by the Cowboy State Daily. Here's a little bit of what that sounded like. Back up. One baby bear. Baby! Baby, Again, Baby is a small, four-legged non-human and was totally unscathed. But Wanda suffered seven puncture wounds and a broken vertebra and had to be hospitalized. It could have been much worse. Wanda's husband, Daniel, was also on the scene. He grabbed the buck by the antlers when he saw his wife being attacked. Daniel didn't exactly teach the buck a lesson. He suffered a puncture wound of his own, but he slowly pushed the animal back until it stood up and stopped being aggressive. Watching this video, it's clear that this buck has been around humans its entire life. It wasn't scared off by Wanda screaming, multiple dogs running around its legs, or Daniel's attempt to grab its antlers. According to Cowboy State Daily, it stayed in the caner's yard a few more hours after the incident, and, as you can guess, was dispatched, as in killed, by a Wyoming fish and game. Interesting takeaway from this video, if you care to watch it, is uh, Daniel is the one being interviewed the entire time. So you get Daniel's thoughts, and his thought 
was to have a whole new respect for wildlife that could be in your urban area, and he's just glad it wasn't a mountain lion. However, we never hear Wanda's side. She received seven puncture wounds, Daniel only one. Daniel wasn't hospitalized, Wanda was, and I can't help but wonder to think that Wanda doesn't really care if it's a mountain lion. I think the buck was scary enough. This week, we've got that cheating thing. Citizen science, poison, and the GOP. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week was pretty darn amazing. First of all, if you can't tell, I'm back recording out of the Black Series camper with my consistent Eastern Montana co-host, a 30-mile-per-hour wind. On top of that, I got pheasant stock sitting on the stove. We're cooking and working, courtesy of the double-edged sword of our millennia. The dang Elon Musk mobile satellite dish. I cannot believe it, but it's allowing me to sit out here and hunt. Still feel terrible about it and that it could be the downfall of humanity, but I'm being honest with you. I feel fine. Anyway, I am fresh back from Aberdeen, South Dakota, where I was, as was Snort, for the South Dakota pheasant opener. Luke Thorkelson of Weatherby and I joined Pheasants Forever's first ever farm bill biologist Matt Morlock and PFQF's chief conservation officer Ron Leathers. Needless to say, if you find your head filled with questions regarding habitat, predation, invertebrates, pollinators, easements, raptors, and certainly anything to do directly with pheasants, you would love to take a walk with these two. I sure did, and they didn't get sick of my questions from what I could tell on the outside anyway. Now, some of you may be wondering why all the talk about a famous invasive species, the Szechuan or Chinese ring-necked pheasant. Well, aside from being pretty and charismatic, people just love to hunt them. In fact, this town of Aberdeen determined that, above all else, the city survives on pheasant hunters. Lots of places claim to be the pheasant capital, but the difference and the reason for going to Aberdeen is the Aberdeen Pheasant Coalition. Business owners chipped in to fund and create lease agreements with neighboring ranchers to provide more public hunting access. So far, they have about 4,000 acres enrolled. We hunted some of this ground for an episode of Cal in the Field that will be out this winter. And, just like you, I thought, holy cow, am I seriously uncomfortable with the marketing of specific areas to bring pheasant hunters in? Talk about a spot burn. But once you get there, you see the enormity of the pheasant habitat in South Dakota. I'll tell you, no matter the size of the orange army, you will not kill off the pheasants. Why? Awesome habitat. And lots of it. And pheasants get very smart after the first time they get hunted. So they kind of have PhDs by the time uh, the next week rolls around. Now, I'm positive all of you hard-walking public land hunters in Aberdeen are still very unhappy with me talking about your area. I know I would be, but the hope is we get every town in America to sponsor additional public acres for hunting and fishing, and then we can spread that pressure out. I know you public land folks over there have broad shoulders. Let's make supporting public acres the hip thing to do. I'm really excited to show everyone this episode, and you'll also get to see something brand spanking new our pals at Weatherby are working on in the shotgun department. All I can tell you currently is I'd start saving now. You'll want it. I know I sure do. Moving on 
to the fishing desk. Here's a quick update for you on the Ohio Walleye Tournament cheating scandal. The two men accused of cheating, remember they stuffed their walleyes with walleye fillets and lead weights, kind of like a um, turducken of sorts. The pair, Jacob Runyon and Chase Kaminsky, have been charged with cheating, attempted grand theft, possessing criminal tools, and unlawful ownership of wild animals. All of those charges are fifth-degree felonies except the wildlife crime, which is a fourth-degree misdemeanor. Fifth-degree felonies are the least severe type of felony in Ohio, but they still come with a required 6- to 12-month imprisonment and up to $2,500 fine. In other words, these guys could be facing some serious jail time, depending on whether they take a plea deal. Whatever they get is probably a lot better than what they would have gotten had they stuck around a bunch of angry fishermen. Torches! Get your torches! Pitchforks! Can't be an angry mob without pitchforks! Moving on to the Citizen Science Desk. A few weeks ago, we covered the story of a hunter who found what may be one of the only full-grown American chestnut trees in Delaware. That was some great citizen science, but you don't need to find a super rare tree or animal species to participate. Many state game agencies rely on hunter surveys to collect data about wildlife. Hunters spend an enormous amount of time in the woods every year, and biologists try to use those observation hours to learn more about deer, wolves, elk, bobcats, and other species. In Minnesota, for example, the Department of Natural Resources is asking hunters to fill out an online survey so they can verify their population estimates of white-tailed deer. Hunters can take the survey on their smartphones. It asks hunters to record the time and place they hunt, how many deer they saw, and the ages and sexes of those deer. Hunters also have the opportunity to report observations about wild turkeys, black bears, coyotes, and other animals. Just over 2,100 hunters returned the survey when the Department of Natural Resources introduced it in 2019. But since then, the numbers have plummeted. According to a report in NPR last year, just 49 of the more than 400,000 Minnesota hunters filled out a survey, which is a response rate of only 0.01%. The DNR has historically only opened the survey to bow hunters, but this year all hunters are welcome to participate. The information Minnesota hunters provide helps biologists make data-driven game management decisions without spending millions of dollars collecting that data themselves. Iowa, which also runs a hunter observation survey, told NPR that they would have to spend $2.5 million per year to collect the information that hunters give them for free. Running the survey only costs about $15,000, which means hunters are saving the state over $2 million every year just by filling it out. That money can be spent on habitat conservation and other projects that help ensure the health of the game populations we love to hunt. So, if you live in Minnesota, be sure to fill out your hunter survey this year. For everyone else, your state probably has a similar program. Just search for your state name plus hunter observation survey. That should get you on track. Another key piece of information, if you're thinking, you know, survey schmervey, or I'm not going to do anything the state sends me. A lot of state agencies are mandated to include hunter information. So if you personally don't turn in information, other people's information will be used either for your benefit or your detriment. Fill out your surveys and get them filled in. Moving on 
to the Wolf Desk. After months of investigation, Washington wildlife officials have confirmed that six wolves were illegally poisoned in the northeastern part of the state. Animal rights groups have been asking since May for Washington State Fish and Wildlife to release more details, and that's exactly what they did earlier this month. Back in February, Stevens County deputies on a snowmobile patrol found a wolf they at first believed died of old age. They couldn't find any blood or bullet holes, and there didn't appear to be any fresh snowmobile tracks. But they began to suspect foul play when they found three additional dead wolves later that day, none of which had been shot or injured. They found two more wolves in the same area over the course of the next month. Toxicology reports confirmed that the wolves had been poisoned. The Center for Biological Diversity has been all over this one. They've been joined by a variety of Washington animal rights groups in calling for the arrest and prosecution of the offenders, and they're even offering a reward of $51,400 for information leading to a conviction. I might argue that $51,400 in a program that provides non-lethal deterrence to ranchers may go a lot further. It's illegal to poison a wolf in the United States, and while I'm sympathetic with communities that oppose wolf reintroduction, there are better ways to deal with the problem. Most states, including Washington, have ways to compensate landowners for predator depredation, and several states have opened wolf hunting and trapping seasons. Poaching is poaching, even if the animals aren't harvested for their meat, hides, or antlers. Of course, the Center for Biological Diversity can't resist a little hyperbole, especially when it comes to wolves. Their press release on this topic makes it sound like wolves in Washington are hanging by a thread, and these poisonings will send the species back to extinction. They describe wolves in Washington as being, quote, attacked on all sides, and say it's been a, quote, devastating year for Washington's wolf population. In reality, the wolf population in Washington is doing fine. Becky Elder, a spokesperson for the Washington State Fish and Wildlife Police, told Oregon Public Broadcasting that the wolf population in the state continues to rebound. The latest wolf survey showed at least 206 known wolves in 33 known packs, including at least 19 breeding pairs. Six wolves make a dent, but it's not a catastrophe. If only there was a uh, child's tale about crying and wolves. Wolf poisoning has a long and unfortunate history in the United States. Wolves are smart animals. They're difficult to trap and even more difficult to shoot. So to more quickly and efficiently eliminate wolves from the landscape, contracted wolf hunters often turn to poison. In his account of Yellowstone wolves, Paul Schulery notes that as far back as 1877, park officials were poisoning ungulate carcasses in their efforts to eradicate wolves. In the Southwest, ranchers and government officials used the same tactic. According to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the concerted eradication efforts worked, and wolves were extirpated from the vast majority of the lower 48 states by the 1960s. But there's a big difference between isolated individuals poisoning wolves and a nationwide effort with the backing of the federal government. No one should be poisoning wolves, but the growing population in Washington will be just fine. A lot of people think that getting life insurance means you're insuring yourself for yourself, but it's actually the exact opposite. It's insuring yourself for your family. So if something happens to me and I'm not around anymore, I can have more peace of mind that my family can have some financial support. And that's where Fabric by Gerber Life comes in. 
more than once in my life, my journey, people have described me as an independent person. And that's how I want to stay even when I'm dead. That's how I want to be remembered. That's why I have life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash cal. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Moving on to the policy desk. The midterm election is only a few weeks away, and it's worth taking some time to educate yourself about your choices for local, state, and federal office. Candidates post their own policy positions, but I also encourage you to take a look at each party's official platform. In Minnesota, for example, the official Republican Party platform calls for the elimination of the Clean Water, Land, and Legacy Amendment. This amendment to the state's constitution was passed in 2008 by 56% of Minnesota voters. It increased the state's sales tax by three-eighths of 1% and used that money to fund clean water projects, restore wildlife habitat, promote arts and culture, and maintain parks and trails. Since 2010, the fund has generated over $3.65 billion in revenue for these project categories, including over $1 billion for wildlife habitat projects. Just this year, the Minnesota DNR will use about $2.5 million for shallow lake and wetland enhancement and restoration work throughout Minnesota, with a focus on the prairie region. Pheasants Forever received a grant for $3.8 million to permanently protect and restore 659 acres of public waterfowl habitat, and Ducks Unlimited will use $3.9 million to enhance wetlands. This isn't free money, but Minnesota voters, including many Republican legislators, voted to raise taxes during the 2008 recession because they cared so deeply about protecting water and habitat. 
since at least 2018, the GOP has made repealing this funding an official plank on their platform. You might think they're motivated by a desire to lower taxes, but they don't list this proposal alongside other tax cuts. Instead, this is likely related to the next item in the natural resources section, which calls for reducing or restricting the government ownership of land. The DNR can use legacy amendment funds to purchase property that might otherwise be sold to a private developer. They're required to make that land accessible to hunters and anglers, but the fund gives them a powerful tool to conserve habitat and wildlife species. If you don't like the idea of public land to begin with, it would make sense that you wouldn't support a fund that makes public land possible. But don't think the Democrats are getting off the hook. As Rob Dreislin points out in Outdoor News, Minnesota's Democratic Party also includes several provisions some hunters and anglers might find objectionable. For example, the party opposes wolf hunting and trapping, including the use of snares, and wants to increase public education efforts, quote, as to how wolves live. The wolf population in Minnesota is perfectly capable of handling a regulated hunting season, so calling for a hunting ban is more about throwing a bone to the animal rights crowd than following sound science. Wherever you live, be sure to check out each state party's platform before you vote. Individual candidates don't always hold the same positions as their party, but that gives you an opportunity to ask them to clarify their stance. And you should. It's part of the process. The campaign trail is a great place to ask these sorts of questions, and you still have a few weeks before the final votes are cast. Moving on to the market hunting desks. A few months back, a listener named Annie wrote in to tell me about a dog food company that claimed to be selling wild elk and deer meat. Annie asked how this was legal, since all 50 states prohibit selling meat from wild animals. Market hunting decimated wild populations in the 19th century, and states responded by eliminating commerce and wildlife. But this company, whose name is Raw Wild, kids, be sure you're with an adult if you try to look that one up on the internet, they claim to be selling organic wild elk and deer meat, harvested by hunters from the Rocky Mountain West. They have a website and social media accounts, and you can order raw dog food for about $10 per pound. The way they pitch it, this is high-quality deer and elk burger taken from the same animals hunters use to feed their families. We looked into this, and you can check out a more detailed report in an article on TheMeatEater.com. I'll give you the highlights. We reached out to the Law Enforcement Division of the Utah Department of Wildlife Resources, They told us they've received numerous tips about raw wild, and they sent an officer to investigate in August of this year. He found that raw wild gets all their meat from a single butcher called Myers Game Processing. Myers sells raw wild what they call shop scrap. This is meat that gets cut off during the butchering process because it's dirty or bloody or hairy. They also grind up bones and gristle and sinew and throw it all into a burger they sell to raw wild for, quote, Two something a pound, as in two dollars and something a pound. All of this is legal thanks to a provision in Utah law that allows the sale of, quote, inedible byproducts from big game processing. The statute doesn't define what inedible byproducts are. The law enforcement officer we spoke to said investigators just use their, quote, common sense. If it looks inedible, you can sell it, even if it comes from wild animals. Of course, one man's inedible byproduct could be another person's delicacy. Sinew and tendons are edible, and bones can be turned into broth. If I threw away every piece of meat with dirt or hair on it, 
Well, I'd harvest way less meat every year. Rawwild argues that they're just finding a use for meat and byproducts that would otherwise end up in a landfill. I'm sympathetic to this argument. I'd much rather feed meat to my dog than throw it away, and I'm happy Meyer has found a good use for his shop scrap. But this kind of thing still makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Whenever humans combine wildlife with the open market, wildlife usually loses. There's just too much temptation. We've seen this over and over again. New Mexico elk licenses on the open market, big money antler hunting, even this latest controversy about the walleye tournament on Lake Erie. Giving people a monetary incentive to harvest wildlife is almost never a good idea. In this case, you can imagine a million ways it could go wrong. Meyer makes more money per pound selling to raw wild than from a hunter who orders a basic deer or elk cut. There's no solid evidence that he's skimming off the top, but don't tell that to the folks leaving reviews on the shop on Google. Many complain that they didn't receive back as much meat as they expected. That's a fairly common complaint among hunters, but Meyer gets it a lot. Most states allow antlers and hides to be sold, but not every state has this inedible byproduct category. In fact, as far as I can tell, Utah is the only state that does. The state game agency says it plans to look into this category further, and I'll keep you in the loop if I hear any news. If any state is going to allow the sale of shop scrap, I'd like to see a more robust oversight system. Again, I'm happy to find a use for the inevitable waste that comes from game processing, but we have to make sure that what's being sold is, in fact, waste. If we don't, I can see a slippery slope that ends with us repealing some of the same wildlife mistakes we've made in the past. A great rule. If you take your game to any processor, stand there with them and have it weighed beforehand. Then have a conversation about what type of weight you should expect on the back end. This eliminates any guesswork or gray area. Now, Meyer down here in Utah could be a fantastic and very ethical butcher, and the product that he gets in from hunters could be, by and large, very bad, even from these people who leave negative reviews. Meaning that you are just not going to get your expected yield if you bring in dirt, hair-covered, nasty-looking meat, waterlogged crap. Because a butcher is not going to package that stuff up and give it back to you and put their professional label on it, okay? It is up to you to do a very good job when you provide that meat to a butcher. Then ask to get a before weight and see what the after weight should approximately be. You be a good communicator, they'll be a good communicator, and no more controversy. I'll get off my soapbox now and move on to the Migratory Bird Report. 33 science and conservation organizations released a huge report last week on the state of bird species in the United States. It's the first comprehensive survey since the 2019 study that found that the U.S. and Canada have lost 3 billion birds in the last 50 years. The latest report confirms that we're nowhere close to turning things around. However, thanks to hunters, there is one silver lining. More than half of bird species are declining, and grassland birds are seeing the fastest population drop-off. Since 1970, these birds have seen a 34% loss. Birds in forests 
Deserts and oceans have also declined between 5% and 33% over the last 52 years. This doesn't mean that every species in these ecosystems has seen a decline. The turkey population, for example, has increased dramatically since 1970, but taken as a whole, there are fewer birds in each of these habitats than there were a generation ago. The only group of birds whose populations have increased are those that live in wetlands. Water birds have seen an 18% increase, and dabbling and diving ducks have seen a whopping 34% increase. Geese and swans have been the biggest winners. Their populations have increased over 1,000% and are in near all-time highs. They've adapted to agricultural and urban environments better than any other type of bird, as anyone can attest who's been chased by a Canada goose through a city park. But, like other wetland birds, they've also had help. National legislation like the North American Wetlands Conservation Act has protected these habitats, and organizations like Ducks Unlimited and Delta Waterfowl have turned those protections into positive gains. Dr. Karen Waldrop, Chief Conservation Officer for Ducks Unlimited, credits the collaboration between hunters, landowners, state and federal agencies, and corporations for this success. She also pointed out that protecting wetlands doesn't just benefit ducks and geese. Quote, this is good news, and not only for birds, but for the thousands of other species that rely on wetlands and the communities that benefit from groundwater recharge, carbon sequestration, and flood protection. Waterfowl hunters have proven that it's possible to restore habitat and recover bird species, and the study's authors hope their strategy can be replicated. But hunters aren't off the hook just yet. Grassland birds are declining as we lose millions of acres of that habitat, and we covered a few weeks ago how one of the largest wetlands in the Pacific Flyway has gone dry. This isn't a time to get complacent. It's time for us to double down on what works and make sure our conservation organizations have the funds they need. If you want to get involved, it's easy to donate a few bucks to Ducks Unlimited or Pheasants Forever. Also, don't forget to contact your U.S. representatives about the big conservation bills still on the table. Right now, the Recovering America's Wildlife Act and the North American Grasslands Conservation Act are stuck in committees. Just like our parents and grandparents demanded that Congress pass the Wetlands Act, we need to demand that our representatives pass these bills and help ensure our wildlife continues to thrive in the decades ahead. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to write in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's askcal, at themeateater.com. And also, don't forget, if you're about to head out into the woods, buck a bunch of firewood for hunting camp, head on down to www.steeldealers.com and find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They're going to get you set up with what you need, and they're not going to send you off to camp with what you don't. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.
Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more.